Hello everyone, welcome to this week's Red Voices Manchester United podcast. Thanks for stopping by to spend your next 45 minutes or so in the company of Ewan Lennart, Richard Kant and Paul Gunning. Two United games to pour over this week, a fun evening's demolition of Club Bruges in the Europa League and Sunday's one-all league draw with Everton. Richard, where were you when Liverpool's unbeatable, invincible season came to an end? Um, I, I watched the first half and the second half I was driving, but um, driving with some glee, I would say. Yes. Paul? Uh, I was just at home also watching with glee. Yeah, lovely. I mean, it feels a, it does feel a little bit kind of small time, doesn't it? But then yeah. they would have been... So, can you imagine them harping on about it? It would have been worse than Arsenal. So, yeah, good, good stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, it was nice of them. You know, Arsenal have had a rough week. So it, it was nice of them to sort of just allow them that little moment of joy. They really, you know, they like really, a really difficult season. They really milked it as well, didn't they? Arsenal, I mean, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, like we wouldn't have done the absolute same. I mean, well, yeah. Yeah. to milk, have they? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah I mean, there is really an element of if it being small time, but if life has taught us anything repeatedly over the last seven years, it's to enjoy the moments of success and joy when you can. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Surely. Yeah, it's that Darren, Darren Richmond tweet, isn't it, from a few years ago, where he said, "God, if I'd known how you know, rubbish United would have been, were going to be, I would have gloated so much more when they were good." Absolutely, <laughs> along those lines. That's, anyway. that's pretty much exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah, so well played there, Darren. Yeah, uh, I guess yeah, we've got a relatively fun game to kick things off with this week. Then uh, United's. Incredible demolition job of Club Bruges. Uh, Rich, given the one-all draw the previous week over in Belgium, I think there was an element of United perhaps having to go about their business in a bit more of a professional manner, this second leg. Um, And it was a pretty interesting game that swung on one massive, massive brain fart, I guess you could call it. It was incredible, wasn't it? I mean, I, I think I think you're right that United clearly took the game a lot more seriously than they had the previous week. It was a much stronger, well, not it was a considerably stronger team than we put out the, uh, away. Um, and what was quite unusual about the game, which we don't see very much anymore, is that United came out the traps absolutely flying. It's been a feature of this season, really, that we too often start games incredibly slowly and really sloppily, and we get away with it more often than not. But a few times we've been punished. But that's the first time I can remember in a while where we've really come out and hammered at a team from the in the first five or ten minutes. The annoying thing was that we didn't get the goal, and it and it just needed uh, needed the defenders' absolutely crazy decision to uh, to turn to turn rush goalie um, <laughs> at that time of the match as well. Looks like he got possessed by Superman. <laughs> it's a hell of a save, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that sense of dominance, you sort of forgot it was even possible. And my mate who I was sat near said, do you remember when it was like this every week? You know, just, uh, it was like looking back through a family album and see, you yeah. know, seeing pictures of yourself looking all young and virile and you sort of forget that was, <laughs> that was ever even a thing. But um, yeah, it's a really good game, really enjoyable, good atmosphere as well, which you can't say very often at Old Trafford these days. And I know it's not just Old Trafford, but... Um, yeah, it feels like Bruno Fernandes giving everyone a, a really big lift. The fans, the players, you know, he's a player of huge quality. And I think it helps that, you know, we've got a song for him already and the Bruno Bruno chant, you know, it just, everyone can get involved and get behind him and he's just a cut above, really. So yeah, really enjoyable is match. Is the chant a cut above, though? It's all right, isn't it's it? A, I mean, yeah. it's not our finest work. It's not, no, but I mean, how many of them are? I mean, it's, it's decent enough and, you know, I do like that tune for a chant. I think it works well, um, but no, I, I, it was a re- it was one of those. I don't remember enjoying a match that much for quite a long time. Really, it was nice to walk out oh, of true. Old Trafford with uh, 
with a real like a real spring in our step and and looking forward to the no I say looking forward I never look forward to Everton away but in thinking we, we could go there and get something you know with a modicum of confidence with a modicum say. of confidence yeah exactly we started off with that red card decision and I'm pulling it back to that because the game really swung on that decision you know you, Rich you mentioned that United came out of the blocks with you know great vigor in that first half and that was surprising you know the the slickness of our play especially going forward was really impressive you know considering that I can't remember the last time United started a game with that much pressure apart from maybe what City away in the league back in December perhaps with that much sort of pressure with that much pressing and that much focus on trying to get an early goal and that I guess the the points worth mentioning prior to that red card are that Bruges had a couple of half decent openings and could well have gotten themselves in the league with a crucial away goal prior to that red card and it is not understating the fact to say that that sending off completely changed the context of the game again as we said no idea what Delhi was doing there he stuck his arm out I mean if he's got no confidence in Simon Mignolet I understand that to a certain degree but still great penalty again by Bruno and after that it did have a bit of a procession feel about it. It was still very enjoyable, don't get me wrong. You know, I think it was fantastic to see Bruno and Mata particularly combining so well. And Paul, what a nice moment for Rodion Agallo getting that first goal, something he's been on the cusp of getting for the last several weeks and finally got that first strike yeah. uh, in front of the East Stand on Thursday night. It was a nice moment. Yeah, a lovely moment. And um, I couldn't obviously see what was on his T-shirt and the story behind that, but obviously really moving that he dedicated to his sister who died last, I think it was last December, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good. I mean, he's, he's been, he's had, like you say, he's had a few chances um, since, since he started playing for us and... I th- he sort of snapped at them quite a lot, really. I think it's it's mm. he's a he's a boyhood United fan. It's a dream move that he never at this stage of his career he could never really have thought possible. And he just he looks nervous and almost like he's trying too hard. And you've seen it so often over the years, with particularly with strikers, I think, where you can see that they're they're, they're sort of tense and the muscles are tight, you know, because they're so nervous. So yeah, it would have been a, a huge relief for him to get off off the mark. And I thought all the goals were really good as well. I thought you know it was it was nice to, to get a bit of a mix of of goal scorers for once, um, which we've not really mm. seen for quite a while. Getting goals from midfield was fantastic. So um, pleased for him, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, lovely build up play as well. Uh, Bruno waiting and waiting and then sending an inch perfect pass over to Mata, who then touched that back across goal. Relatively easy tapping, but as you said, not the best goal of the night. I think that uh, dubious honour goes to one Scott McTominay for a delightful finish right on the edge of the area. The way that swerved around Mignolet was superb, wasn't it? I can't, I can't quite comprehend how he did that. He, he, he it was basically a, a side footer that curled the wrong way, wasn't it? It's a pass, um, yeah. yeah. It was. It was really odd, but I mean, it was a really good goal. I, I think he had, a, he, he particularly considering he was coming back from injury, had a really good game, and I know. It's it's easier to dominate a midfield when you're playing against ten men and the team the opposition aren't very good. But it was really um, it was really heartening to see him have such a such a lively and effective game so soon after after coming back. But it was just mm. a, it was it was it was a really really good goal. But we scored we scored some you know three or four really good goals in that game. As you say, the Bruno pass for the Igalo goal was just was just incredible, and it was just watching United play with the quality in the final third that we so so rarely see. But yeah, I mean. It's, it was a terrific goal from McTominay. And it, 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 just think for the first time, really, in probably four months, we've actually got some options in midfield. Yeah, I, th- I think with Bruno as well, you can he's, he's quite often like a couple of steps ahead of some of his teammates, isn't he? And, I mean, Rashford would be, would be having a field day if he was fit. I think Martial, 
Marcel and Greenwood and, and Rashford were, were making a lot of runs earlier in the season, and then they, they went through a stage of getting quite static because I think mm. they realised that there was no one really in midfield to make to, to pick those runs out. Whereas now with Bruno, they're almost having to get used to making those runs again because there's someone there who can find them. And I think you're right, you and that that sort of little partnership of Matter and, um, and Bruno was lovely, wasn't it? Really, mm. just darting about all over the pitch. I think, in particular, with the games that we've got coming up after this month, because you know, you look at the United's next three league fixtures: you know, it's, uh, City, Spurs, followed by Sheffield United. You would say those are going to be very difficult games, but then after that, we've got a bunch of fixtures against teams below us in the table, in the bottom half of the league, and those are fixtures that traditionally, over the last eighteen months plus or several years plus, we've struggled against, especially under Solskjaer, in the sense that we struggled to break teams down. And I think that the Bruno Matter combination, if Pogba's not going to be back in the side by that point, could be really crucial to helping to break teams down because you could see instantly, especially in that first leg, sorry, second leg against Bruges, just how dangerous we. Obviously, there's an element of context to put in there. You know, Bruges are playing in the Belgium National League, and we're talking about Premier League teams here. So there's obviously going to be a disparity somewhat in terms of the quality. But having said that, it offers us another option, doesn't it? It means that we can play a little bit faster and we can be a little bit more intricate in the build-up play as opposed to just gently tapping it up and down the wings and seeing what happens, which is invariably not a lot. You can see Solskjaer's made a point of um, of picking matter for a few of the really so- sort of softer home games and it makes a lot of sense because he just gives you that extra degree of creativity that you don't necessarily need blistering pace for, for in games at home against sides who are going to sit pretty deep for a lot of the game. So you just mm. need that. you need that extra technical quality and vision to to break a a mass defence down. In fairness, you know, if if we'd gone back four or five months, I perhaps would have said that that Matter's legs had really gone and he wasn't particularly able to offer what he had in the past, but he's he's really showed that he he can offer something off that right hand side and as I think as as you were both saying that he's he's with adding Bruno's added an extra dimension to our ability to break teams down at home and, and those fixtures that you were talking about the ones that we've we've really struggled in they're the they're the types of games really that that Bruno and Matter are the the guys who can make a real difference in them yeah he's had a real he's had a bit of a mini renaissance doesn't he Matter because I, yeah. I agree with you Rich I think just a few months ago I was writing Matter off and thinking you know it was worth a punt giving him another year contract but it's probably time to, to sort of give up on him but you know if he carries on in this kind of form he obviously can't use him week in week out I feel similarly with Matic, actually, you know, if if they're sort of willing to be squad players, that, that experience they've got and, and what they can bring when they're not playing week in, week out and, and having their legs saved a bit is, is quite invaluable. And I think in particular, when you look at United's, you know, the likelihood of us actually becoming a Champions League team in the next couple of months slash in the next 18 months or so. Having players of that level of experience could be useful because yeah. I think United, if they don't qualify for the Champions League this season, they're going to find it very difficult to upgrade the level of quality in the squad. So keeping the likes of Mata and Matic around could be relatively useful. But I think you know, mentioning there about Matapur, you thought he was struggling and he thought maybe this was a poor idea to give him a contract extension. I think the reason that he's actually looking reinvigorated with Bruno and playing alongside Bruno Fernandes is that he doesn't have to the burden of creativity isn't on him yeah. ever since Pogba got injured and ultimately Pereira and Lingard are having such poor seasons in and around him they will play you know nominally a similar position if not number eight around the number 10 area they've offered so little in those positions when they have played alongside Mata Juan's actually now got someone who has got much better vision much better delivery delivery 
and has got so much more of an end product. Yeah, he just makes things happen, doesn't he, with Bruno? And the thing with him is, he'll give the ball away a bit, and similar to Pogba in a way, in that you know these sorts of players who who do really offer not creativity and vision, and you know they they, they actually try things. They don't all come off, but more often than not, they do. And it's just it's a breath of fresh air, and that's what I mean about lifting the the whole atmosphere. Really, it's it's finally we've, we, it feels like we've got someone in the, in the team. Who, you know, he's not all, not only creative, but he works incredibly hard. He's, he's 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 showing real leadership skills, and obviously he's got a great eye for goal as well. So it's yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastic signing. And that's important as well. It's not it's not just his technical quality, which is obviously an absolutely enormous upgrade from from kind of Pereira and Lingard, but it's his mentality, yeah. isn't it? You could see from the very first game, he's he doesn't hide. He's not afraid of afraid of trying things. Not yeah. afraid of the ball. He's all, he, he was, you know, ordering teammates about in the first Absolutely. in the first game, and he's clearly really self assured in his own ability. He, fe- he own... feels that he deserves to be in a, a club like United, doesn't he? You can see it immediately. Yeah, he mm. does. And, but you know, you can get players like that, even players like that, that, that ultimately that, that have tr- have issues when their confidence falls. But you get the impression that it just won't happen with yeah. him. He's the kind of guy that would. He's just incredibly level headed, and he'll just keep going. Keep trying the same things, no matter how how poorly it's 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 going. Which is so important in a player like that. Yeah, and he's he's self critical as well. I mean, he, his interview after the after the Everton game, obviously he scored a brilliant goal. But I think after the goal, he'd kind of faded in influence a little bit, and he was he was very much on top of that. And you know, I scored a great goal, but but things weren't really happening for me after that. Yeah, and, and I could, should have done better. And that's that's the kind of self awareness we need. Where I think we've got a lot a lot of. Yeah, exactly, and I think we've got a lot of players who have played relatively averagely for a very long time, and we're at the point now where it doesn't really affect them. Yeah, absolutely, and it doesn't really bother them. So, I mean, I think it's a his mentality has been almost as important as his as his technical quality. And that, the thing with that as well is, and I'm not comparing him to Eric Cantona here at all, but that you get do get certain players who come into a to a team and a squad, a club like Cantona. Obviously, you had this huge influence on some of the younger players and, and the whole club. When he signed for United, Virgil Van Dijk at Liverpool, you know, he, he's, he's not just a fantastic defender. He's he's got this presence and, and influence in the dressing room as well. And you know, obviously, it's it's too early to say whether Fernandez is going to have that impact at United, but certainly the, the early signs are good. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, especially over the course of this next month, you know, I think it's a defining period for him as well. I think it was encouraging to see him in what was arguably the trickiest game since he's come to the side perform relatively well but know that there's still a level for him to jump up to and he can improve that consistency and improve his level of influence over the course of 90 minutes I still think there's plenty of room for him to grow and improve in this side as well which is encouraging because that's exactly what you want to be seeing for a player that has been as hyped and had so much level of expectation placed on him so yeah really encouraging and you know again a pretty encouraging second half against Bruges as well moving the conversation back over to that Thursday night game uh, Fred danger to shipping <laughs> managed to get two <laughs> goals as opposed to absolutely taking someone out in the stands so that was encouraging um, that first one Jesse Lingard with an assist Paul um, <laughs> now, bless it <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well look you know it, it's very easy to have a go at old, old Jesse at least he got the assist and it was nice to see Fred stroke that one home right absolutely they said it couldn't be done I mean it really didn't look like Fred would ever <laughs> you score. said it couldn't be done <laughs> listen I mean I, I mean yeah I, I'm one of the fans so called well the plastics really who sort of gave up on Fred way way before I should have done and, and I regret doing that I'm not usually like that with players I like some players a chance but he just didn't look like the, 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 the right level I'm still not sure he is top top quality, but what you can't 
takeaway from Fred is his attitude. It's absolutely unbelievable the way he gets around the pitch. Is, um, and so it was just lovely to see him rewarded with a goal at last, a couple of goals. And yeah, it was a good finish. And Jesse Lingard, you know, it feels like a bit of a you know, slow death now for him, really, at the club. Yeah, nice to see him get an assist and, and decent, decent goal for Fred. Really do, I really do mm. like him a lot as a player. Finish for the second one was even better yeah. as well, Rich, with an assist for a player that we're not going to be seeing much more of if reports today are going to be believed, to Heath Chung. Well, yeah, I mean, after 18 months of kicking conversions, that was a, a relatively comfortable and quality finish, wasn't it? Um, yeah. yeah. He seems, you know, for most of the last few months, he seemed absolutely incapable of shooting below a notional about 40 foot in the air. So to actually get over the ball and, and, and side foot it in from there was a really a really decent finish for him. I think maybe I think with his finishing he seems to too often try and hit the ball too hard, I think. Um and, and ultimately he's not able to control it, whereas with that one he, he decided that he was gonna go for the, the placement rather than the power and and that was effective, and that's perhaps something he needs to do in future when he's shooting. Yeah, I mean, he gets into that position frequently, doesn't he? You know, he did it against that, Liverpool. Yeah. He's always getting into those positions. And it, 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 that's just a real skill in itself. You know, Paul Scholes was the master of it, wasn't he? Getting into those positions on the edge of the box, sort of sweeping up any um, deflections or you know clearances or whatever. And if he if he can add finishing to his game, then suddenly he becomes a completely different prospect, doesn't he? Just before we carry on, I'm delighted to mention that this week's episode is brought to you in association with the Pitch Sport Football app, which can be downloaded on the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. You can set your favourite team, make up your own starting eleven, and have your own say on United or indeed any of the Premier League clubs, should you wish. Going forward, you'll be able to find the podcast on Pitch Sport alongside all normal outlets. We'll be sending a fan video question to you each week, and we encourage you to send us your replies to feature our next episode. All right, now back to the Europa League. That rounded things off nicely for that potentially tricky but well-navigated Europa League last 32 side. Moving us into the last 16 with a uh, tie that's happening in 10 days' time. First leg Mm. away in Austria against league leaders. uh, Are we saying LASK or LASK? LASK. Yeah, let's go for LASK. LASK sounds a bit more, yeah. Nobody will ever know, will they? No. Let's go for Lasks now. I think that's, that's fine. I mean, no one's going to call us up in it, are they? Don't dob us in, anyone. Well, apparently um, Bruges I mean, is actually meant to be Brugge. Brugge. Apparently. Okay. It's well, Flemish, okay. but, you know, let's not get bogged down in these things. Well, I mean, that, that's very Brexit of you, Paul, but fair enough. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, the, it's an interesting draw in the sense that uh, several of the bigger teams are going to be playing each other over this course of the next round. So there's a couple of teams dropping out potentially of the quarterfinal if we're able to get that far, which should make our potential passage a little bit clearer. But I guess this sort of comes into the overall broader conversation that we might be having later on this evening about, well, sorry, this morning, about United's participation next season's Champions League. Because yesterday at Goodison Park was a game, realistically, we could really have done with a win from. And it ended up with a somewhat useful but slightly frustrating draw. Uh, Paul, start off with you. Uh, Three minutes in, what on earth happened with Dave? Try and make sense of that for me. I can't really make sense of it. Um... And it's something that, you know, a player of his experience shouldn't be getting caught out like that. And it, it, you can only assume it's sort of stemmed from panic. I don't know. It's it's hard to tell. The trouble is, and I think I might have said this on the pod before, but the trouble is, with, particularly with goalkeepers, I think once that aura of, you know, real sort of dominance and confidence and talent is is diminished slightly. It's really hard to get it back. So against Everton at Old Trafford, obviously they they scored from the corner, didn't they? Where they sort of barged into him. I think it probably was a foul that, but either way, you know, he didn't. He wasn't particularly strong that day. 
And then you saw after that a lot of teams starting to try to do the same. Liverpool did it, of course, where you, the, the targeting De Gea, which is what they used to do when he was when he first arrived at the club. Now you, you can probably expect to see teams really closing down quickly on him. His distribution's never been amazing, but obviously we're under Solskjaer, we are trying to play out from the back a lot more. We have near, we've actually got lucky a few times um, in in the recent months where we've given the ball away in, in dodgy positions and stuff and got away with it. But yeah, just it was it was just abysmal really, and, and a terrible start to the match. I think we recovered really well from it, but this has just got to add more fuel to the fire. Obviously, there's a lot more people in these days asking questions about De Gea. With Dean Henderson doing so well at Sheffield United, they're only going to get worse. So it's a shame because and a few minutes later he showed what he can do with the shot stopping. You know where he, I think it was uh, Richarlison again. You know he, he made a really good save. Obviously made a fantastic save towards the end of the match as well. Fantastic goalkeeper, but you know it just makes too many mistakes and doesn't dominate his area at all. Yeah, these lapses are becoming somewhat more frequent as well. You know, it was yeah. only several months ago that he was allowing a ball to bounce over him at Vicarage Road, which ultimately set Watford on their way to a pretty comfortable 2 0 win. It's a shame because it seemed like he was coming back into a bit of form, didn't it, recently? And but now this. Um, I think form's a difficult one to quantify. You know, I think you look at this run since United got beaten by Burnley. And yes, there is an element to say, look at the stand of the opposition. It's been wildly variable, you know, coupled with the fact that we've been quite lucky on a couple of occasions with VAR games, which has helped swell that number of clean sheets when perhaps in other times, maybe in other years, we wouldn't have gotten as lucky. But yeah, I mean, Rich, moving the conversation over to you. I mean, after that De Gea howler, United did seem to get a real stranglehold on that first half. Yeah, it t- it took a few minutes. I think I think the first ten minutes generally were were quite sloppy, and Everton were playing at a much higher tempo. And you'd expect to concede a goal that early, particularly at somewhere that can be as as noisy and um, sort of raucous as as Goodison Park. It's a difficult position to come back from. But I think it took us a few minutes yeah. to adjust. But once we once we'd really got over that that initial blow and settled into our game, we took the sting out of Everton quite well and started to play certainly in transition, really, really flu- fluidly. Um, I mean, we'd already hit the bar from Matic uh, before the equaliser and he and he had another chance as well, which the, which um, Pickford made a save from. We were creating chances and, and getting into really, really good positions and, and Everton really weren't in the game for next 25 minutes or so. And when we equalised it, I don't often say it because it doesn't ever feel like United get up a real head of steam, but the equaliser had been coming, I think. Um, mm. Even if it even if it required a, a a piece of individual brilliance rather than a, an intricate move, but one of the things I've noticed in the last few weeks is that United certainly seem to be transitioning better in, in in games at times anyway, not perhaps for the whole of games. A lot more fluid. There's a lot more movement. I think a lot of that perhaps comes down to what Paul was saying that that Fernandez has made an enormous difference in terms of in terms of people other other people making runs, other people moving, making angles, and he's just making the whole system work. A lot better when he's on his game, and I think it's not—it's not a coincidence that he—he he struggled more in the second half, and United struggled to to get that flu, that fluency back. But when, when United scored, I mean, we really deserved it. And to be honest, I think it was slightly annoying that we were level at half time, having yeah. really dominated the majority of the first half, and just that stupid error early on meant yeah. that we weren't really in control of the game. Yeah. No, I mean, I think in particular, you mentioned there the first 10 minutes or so, you could easily see United falling behind 2-0. You know, Richarlison mm. and Calvert-Lewin were giving 
Lindelof and Maguire a lot, a lot of problems. And, you know, switching the, the focus back to the defence, I thought that was the worst game I've seen from Lindelof in some time. You know, I think there's an element to say, looking at his performances over the course of this season, there is no definitive reason why you should say he should be de facto defensive partner for Maguire at the minute in terms yeah. of the centre-back position. You know, I mean... I, there is an element looking at the players around him that there's no standout candidate, but I don't think Lindelof is doing anywhere near enough at the minute to justify a selection ahead of anyone else. You know, he just, he's looks, erratic, isn't he? He just looks erratic and, and sort of flappy and panicky. He just looks like he's still buffering any time the ball comes over to him. He looks like he's a split second behind any forward trying to take the ball mm. off him, and decisions yeah. just tend to go so badly wrong. You know, he gave him a, a gave away a, a poor booking in the second half against Calvert Lewin, and you always worried about him after that. He had one good moment where. He actually was able to muscle him off the ball and pass the ball off quite well but that's just nowhere near frequent enough in order to justify it and with Bailly at the minute back I mean you know when you bring Eric Bailly back into a starting 11 you are taking away uh, Lindelof who can sometimes doddle on the ball too long in mystery situations and you're adding in another couple of problems in <laughs> in another different level of erraticism <laughs> because Bailly is a law unto himself and it's incredibly engaging to watch, yeah, but it will provide heart palpitations yeah. for the players around him. So I'm not suggesting that there is another standout, obvious candidate to replace him straight away, but I, it does get me wondering whether or not Maguire would benefit from someone else standing nearby him when it comes to centre-back position, because it just didn't work yesterday. One of the problems with Lindelof, I think, is that he doesn't have an outstanding attribute. Um, no. you know, he's tattoos. Not... <clears throat> well, yes, he does He does have some fine tattoos. and Quite a nice hair. Very attractive girlfriend, but... Um, in, in footballing sense, he doesn't have he doesn't have an outstanding attribute. He's not incredibly quick. He's often not strong enough. I don't think he anticipates danger well enough, um, and he can often be slow to react as well. And I think if you if you put all those things together, I mean, if you look at if you look at Maguire, you know Maguire's outstanding attribute is obviously his. Uh, although head, he's although he's deep, well, no, he's massive heed, but but just generally being a, he's a fighter isn't he and I he's think a, it, yeah, he, is. he had an absolutely exceptional game I thought he was United's man of the match by a mile on um, on Sunday but he's so it, good you can you can you know he has an, an exceptional attribute which he which he utilizes but if you don't have one I mean even with Bailly you can say that his his athleticism and his physicality is a is is his strength um you know even if he's out of position he's got the speed and the the agility to get back and, and make blocks and make tackles, whereas Lindelof just doesn't. And once he's caught out, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I just I've never really seen it with Lindelof, and I think if United had the choice, they they probably get someone else in better to play next to Maguire. And switching over to another slight bugbear for that first half, I don't necessarily think. Oli deserves absolute pelters for that starting eleven. I thought actually with Martial coming back in, obviously we were concerned that he would be out injured for any length of time because he missed the uh, Europa League game against Club Bruges on Thursday. Nice to have him back in the lineup. I do wonder about sticking Martial and Greenwood up top together without any proper backup. I think partially because, Rich, as we discussed last week, Mason is an excellent finisher, but he's not necessarily heavily involved in the build-up. And Martial's game, especially over the last few months, he will have very short bursts of incredible activity and score a goal, sometimes out of nothing. But you've got two forwards there who are not going to be intrinsic part of the build-up. To me, it felt like they were constantly on the edge of the game, especially in that first half. And a lot of what was really good about United in terms of that build-up play was happening behind them. Yeah. 
I think I think uh, one of the issues that Ollie's got is that he's 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 lacking in natural width in that Rashford's injured, so he hasn't got his first choice left sider player, and Dan James has been in a really extended period of quite poor form. Um, I mean, I think he there's a there's a stat going around that he's he's failed in the the most dribbles of any player in the Premier League, and you can see he's not it, really a dribbler though, is he? He's, he's, no. really, he's just fast. He, he'll knock it past them and then. Yeah, but I think try to I think, get around them with speed. But I think defenders have kind of got wise to that, haven't they? Absolutely, he can't, yeah. He can't go. He can't go both ways, you know. So no. I think he's been worked out a little bit. I mean, I don't necessarily blame him because, as no. we've, we've said all season, he wasn't intended to play. You know, forty, fifty games this season. And mm-hmm. It's because of United's failings rather than his that he has, and he hasn't really had the chance to to develop. But I think in the absence of width, I think. It, Ollie was just trying to do something a bit a bit different, but I think you're right. I think it, as you say, we said about Greenwood that he's he's got moments. He's an exceptional finisher when he gets in in good positions, but but games quite often passing by. Yeah, I almost feel like he's a the kind of player at the moment that you want to play at home, where yeah, United will have the majority yeah. of the ball. They'll have the ball in the in lots of good positions in the final third, and he can do the bit of quality that scores you the goals. But away from home, you need a little bit more than that. Especially um, place like Ever- like Goodison, it's such a tight yeah. pitch with the crowd right on top of you, aren't they? And I think yeah. you know such a young player. Although he's done brilliantly this season, it can be quite an intimidating atmosphere, really. And and when you have got someone like Igalo on the on the on, in the squad now, who's obviously a lot stronger, more experienced. I mean, he's been you know he obviously played for Watford, and and he can hold the ball up way better than probably anyone else we've got really in the team. It's not hard. No, well, no. But I, I agree with you. I, mean, I, I, I looked at the starting line and I thought, that's pretty decent. So with hindsight, we can all say, well, you should have done this, should have done that. But yeah, with hindsight, I would have probably started a guy. Yeah. I mean, Paul, let's uh, stick with you for a minute. Uh, Jordan Pickford, just to com- you know, complete the afternoon of uh, goalkeeper criticism, yeah. absolute pelters for uh, letting that goal, that rather long-range shot from Bruno in. What do you reckon? Do you think it was just struck too well and it's caught him unawares? Or do you reckon the goalkeeper's at fault there? I, I don't rate Jordan Pickford particularly highly as a goalkeeper, but I don't think he deserves quite as much criticism as he got for that yesterday. I think he's a good shot stopper. He's, he's a bit he's kind of sort of similar to De Gea in a way, but De Gea's better. Uh, and I, I, I think it was a really good shot. There was a lot of swerve on it. He probably could have done better with it, but I don't think it was as bad as people made out. And he sort of redeemed himself later on. I mean, I think, again, a goal should have scored late on. Probably Fernandez should have scored as well in, 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 with the first shot. But, you know, yeah, you have to hand it to Pickford. He did really well in that, in that situation. So, yeah, I think it was a bit harsh to criticism he got, really. Yeah, and I guess that moves us on nicely to the second half of the game, which United, for the most part, Rich, really weren't in. You know, do, do you think that's yeah. down to Everton as a result of conceding the equaliser coming out a little bit more? Because there was, def- there was a definite change towards the end of the first half, whereas United had a lot less of the ball and a lot less control after the equaliser, essentially because Everton came out and had a lot more possession. Do you think that's down to United failing to exert themselves or Everton's coming back into the game? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, you can see there the, the impact of half-time, can't you, and, and what managers can do at half-time. And Ancelotti clearly got them G'd up again and also made a few little tweaks that, that kind of changed the game. And if there's one one criticism I have of Oli, it's that he doesn't react particularly well to two changes that the opposition managers make, particularly in the second half of games. But it wasn't just that. It was it was just that Everson came out with a, a really high level of intensity in that second half and United just didn't have didn't have it they really dropped off I think a lot of that was to do with the fact that um, Fernandez's influence really dipped in the game I, don't, I think he struggled in the second half he had a couple of shots that were 
pretty wild and it, the things that he was that he's been doing so well just weren't really quite coming off and I think Fred had one of his poorest games in a, a quite a long time considering mm. he's been one of our best players I think that made a huge amount of difference as well United just couldn't get hold of the ball and keep it for any period of time and you know it's, it's notable the, the the only real sort of chance we had in the second half for counter-attacking because we weren't able to exert the dominance in terms of possession and territory that we'd had in the first half and ultimately I think United were very very lucky to have come out of that with a point by the end I think I think towards the end of the first half Everton were getting a little bit um, frustrated with, with United's possession and passing and quick movement and they started uh, fouling United quite a bit there was a Davis foul wasn't there on and it got the crowd going and I think in the second half it was noticeable that Everton really tried to break up the play and it became quite a bitty match mm. they never really so United never, could, just couldn't get into any flow and that, I agree with you that Fred was quite poor and was particularly in the second half McTominay started to look a bit tired after obviously he's, he's just coming back from injury Matic is quite old. We just seemed to lose it in midfield, which meant that Fernandez couldn't really even get into the game particularly. Yeah. And there wasn't much of an outlet up front. And then um, just set piece after set piece. You know, we, we I don't know if we we, we were tired after the, the, the Thursday night match. We shouldn't have been really. But yeah, I mean, it was just corner after corner after corner after corner. And I think Maguire probably would have just kept heading them away had it gone on all night. But it made for a pretty poor spectacle, really. Yeah, I mean... You mentioned Igalo's chance. I don't think he's done a hell of a lot wrong there. I think it's... I mean, I'm not saying he shouldn't have scored, I think, anywhere else, and that's pretty much almost certainly going in. I think Pickford's just reacted very quickly. And I think he, he did, did a pretty scuff decent... it, though, didn't he? It was a bit of a scuff. He kind of caught it with his studs, and it, yeah. it, went, it went down rather than having any, any real power behind it. Which is what I was sort of saying before about him snapping at shots. I think it is just, you know, new club. And obviously it was a big, big moment, wasn't it? You know... Score that, and United you know, pretty much certain to win the game. Well, <laughs> yeah, steady on. No, but I think, I think, but it's probably a bit harsh. To, I'm not criticising too much for it, but um, you know, I think if if it comes to him in a couple of months' time, after a few more goals, maybe he puts that away. Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 bigger worry is that in a game, especially in that second half, because it was so tight for United, and because they spent so much time on the back foot. And heading back a sea of corners. You know, Everton, I think the stat was put on Sky Sports. They've scored more goals from set pieces than anyone this season in the league, or at least top, uh, joint top. And we're like bottom, aren't we? Yeah. Sorry, top of the conceding from corners league. So. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I think nervy. United, you know, side note, I thought we did very well to combat. And um, well, Harry Maguire did very well to combat yeah. most of those corners. Yeah. So I, 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 I don't know what that expert. De Gea just didn't. I mean, he was barely moving off his line, was he? He looked. But he doesn't, does he? I mean, that's you know, those are the two the two biggest problems you mentioned earlier is the ball at the feet, and the other is he just doesn't dominate his area from from crosses and set pieces. And he looked almost scared yesterday. I don't know if it was because of the mistake he made earlier, but he looked yeah. terrified. Well, he he's he's kind of become the the goalkeeper that he's been for Spain for a long time. Um, yeah, you, you could tell. I don't like want to criticise someone for choosing to stay at United, but I've, <laughs> I've kind of felt like he's still here because <laughs> that's exactly what you did. Well, no, no. Well, I am. I am. <laughs> but he, I kind of feel like he's still here because he because he didn't want to go into that environment where he's struggled yeah. in the past and where he's been heavily criticised and. And it kind of felt like he'd, he'd stayed at United, one for... Well, I don't think he stayed for the money particularly, but he's no. you know incredibly well paid, but stayed at United because it was kind of the safe option. Um, it's an easy life sort of it, thing, yeah. It, it is an easier life, and, and, and I, I almost feel that's kind of reflected in his in his game now. But 
but teams have worked out how to rattle him. Um, mm. And he's just not adapted to to that kind of new reality at all. United do find themselves in a problem now because he signed that enormous contract yeah. that, that makes him the best paid player in the Premier League currently. So it, it was going to be almost impossible to move him on without subsidising a huge portion of his wages and we've got a guy in, in Dean Henderson who really is performing at a significantly higher level than De Gea is who re, who in an ideal world we transition next season but yeah we're, we're and also who's going to want De Gea I mean no. obviously there'll, there'll be a lot of clubs who, who, who would want it but in terms of real top European clubs you're now signing a goalkeeper who's got a fantastic reputation until the last sort of 18 months or so and, and now is you know, quite seems quite brittle. Yeah, I mean, unsurprisingly, I mean, I, I guess before we we transition onto the Twitter questions, what did you reckon to that goal right at the end there? I mean, my head was in my hands at that stage. I've got to admit. I mean, Rich, do you think that was correctly chalked off? I mean, you know, the, in terms of the law of the game, it did seem to be the correct decision. But good God, it was another tight one. Yeah, I think it probably was the right decision. But if if you you, you read the the offside laws related to that that kind of incident. It's a type of incident that's that's quite subjective, isn't it? For the even for the referee, they've got rough guidelines as to what interfering with with play is, and there is a number of descriptions. But but ultimately, how how the offside or otherwise plays out in practice never quite fits perfectly into a little box. And one of the arguments was that he was obstructing the, the sightline of De Gea, which he clearly wasn't. Um, because De Gea is six foot four and he and Sigurdsson was sat flat on the ground, but but by the same token, if you watch the replay from behind the goal, Sigurdsson made no effort to get up and get onside again. He just sat on the floor and so he, he was just <laughs> he just sat there and, it, and play went on and he he just watched the ball and wasn't looking at the wasn't attempting to take part in play or to get to get involved in the play again. And he was obviously sitting there with a purpose. And I think the best the best description I saw was um, that essentially. If if the shot, the deflected shot, if he doesn't move, the shot hits him. So he, he in that in that incidence, he's interfering with play. He specifically yeah. had to move his feet out of the way of the ball to allow it in, um, which also means that he's taken an action which has influenced play. And in either of those circumstances, whether he's kept his legs straight or whether he's moved his legs out of the way, he's 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 taken an action which which has influenced the game. Now, you could argue whether De Gea would have saved it anyway, but that's not relevant to the offside law. A goalkeeper, if he's got a player stand, sitting right in front of him, it, 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 it can't possibly not play a part in his global perspective of, of, the, ga- of the game at that particular point. It, it must he be, literally has to move his, his legs out of the way. To let the ball in, yeah. Of the ball. I mean, yeah. If, it, if it happened to well, if it had been the other, the other end, we'd be all probably thinking, saying, oh, look, that should be a goal. But then, I think you're right, you know, he's, had to, he's literally had to move his legs out of the way. I, I read a piece by Keith Hackett in the Telegraph yesterday, and he basically said that he, he thought it was offside, but he said if you polled referees, he reckoned they'd been split down the middle. And I think that's that's the point, really. It's not this glaring injustice that... Um, that Everton have been done. It's one of those those oh, decisions yeah. that could could have gone either way, and ultimately it went the way of United, probably through common sense as much as anything. But I mean, like you say, if, if it happened to us, we'd be a bit pissed off. I mean, true. I mean, I'm glad that one went our way, considering that it wasn't long prior to that that uh, Fred was booked for handball when it came off his chest. Oh, I can well, imagine if they, was... that, if they scored from that, if they scored from that free there. kick, yeah. 
My yeah, word. Let's, not, let's not forget as well that Everton scored at Old Trafford in a goal which yeah. again again was subjective, but but probably more often than not would have been ruled out. Um, yeah, mm. it was just another. It was a very similar incident where you could have probably lined up twenty referees and half of them would have said one thing and half would have said the other. I thought the ha- the howls of, from the Everton supporters were quite funny. You know, the oh, ridiculous one. Absolutely yeah. absurd. Yeah. Right, you two. Uh, looking ahead to this next week, then Derby County over at Pride Park on Thursday, followed by the visit of City on Sunday. Uh, Paul, how do you see the FA Cup tie going? I mean, to give you a rough idea of how the Rams are doing at the moment, they're about eight points off the playoffs or so. Very inconsistent, and Rooney's having a pretty positive effect, but they're still middling to best championship yeah, side. We should we should win that game. I mean, the only thing is, he's almost certainly going to make quite a lot of changes. Obviously, with the City match um, following that one, you'd expect them to make sweeping changes, really. And then you would expect United to still be able to, to win the game, even with you know a second string. But our second string isn't very good, so uh, so it's probably um, not. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I think we, I think we'll, we sh- we'll, I think we'll win, but I don't think it's going to be that straightforward. All right, Rich, Derby on Sunday. Thursday. I think it'll be... A... No, I mean the Derby on oh, Sunday. Oh, the Derby on Sunday. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I, I think I think Paul's right. I think we'll make sweeping changes and I couldn't call the, the, the cup game at all. But United are so poor against City at home. Endlessly poor against City at home, aren't they? As good as we are at, at the Etihad, we're as poor at home. It's it's, it's really difficult to, to to see us getting out anything out of that game again. I think, I think if United... Realist... The last time we beat City at home, if memory serves, was the League Cup tie... In Mourinho's uh, yeah. first season, yeah, I mean, again, they, oh yeah, they, when they, they yeah, out, that, yeah, they put out a really weak team, didn't they? As well, it was so, weak, yeah. You know, the last time we've beaten really their first team at home was was Van, the four two under Van Hal, I think. It's it's, it's going to be tough, isn't it? God, it, it's it is be horrific. The only the only thing I can think is that that City have got Real Madrid again the uh, the following Tuesday, I think. Oh, it's Tuesday or Wednesday? I forget which. I really think that if United have got any realistic chance of of finishing in the top four this season, we need to win at least one of the next two games against City or um, Spurs, which is a big issue. I mean, I, I guess I guess the bit of the glimmer of hope we have is is the Bruno Fernandes factor because yeah, and Spurs are pretty rubbish as well. They are, they are. I think the problem is without Rashford, we we kind of lost that bit of stardust, hadn't we? Such um, a shame, isn't it? They got injured. I mean, for him as well, from a personal point of view, you know, he was he was. On course for a thirty-goal season, just just really is like it was like his breakthrough season was it really just unbelievable, unplayable. So yeah, real yeah. shame. I'd back us to win either of those games with if Rashford was fit along along with Fernandez, but but as is, it's, it's a tough call. A lot depends on Martial. I mean, Martial is mm. he blows so hot and cold. He can he can look like a world beater one minute and then just fade completely the, the next. And I'm not. I'm not Martial FC, and I'm not a Martial hater or any of that stuff. I think it's all rubbish. But um, <laughs> all right, granddad, it can be so frustrating, so yeah. frustrating um, because we know he's got it in his locker. But if he if he turns up against, I doubt he'll be playing on Thursday. Um, if he, if he turns up against City, you know he could make all the difference. All right, questions to round off this week's episode then, starting off with Steve at Across the Keeper. If United qualify for next season's Champions League, either via the Europa League backdoor again or finishing top four or five in the Premier League, do the clubs stick with Oli and the cultural reset or go for Pochettino as a safer option? Now, I'm of the persuasion that I think Oli goes if United don't get Champions League and I think he stays if we do. Rich? I think it's almost impossible to call just because the club don't do rational decisions. 
absolutely no outcome would surprise me. I think if he gets top four or he gets qualifies for the Champions League next season, he'd deserve to stay. I'm somebody who doesn't necessarily think he's up to snuff, but I mean, if he achieves that with, with what he's had, I think he'd absolutely deserve to get next season. I'm also almost certain, because it's what we do, that, that Ed's been tapping up various managers or a, sure, a chosen sure. manager to, to get him on the line should he should he need him in, in May. I think the answer is United are so, so difficult to read that he could qualify for top four and get sacked or finish seventh and not get sacked. <laughs> Who knows? Right, Paul, uh, Kranger's got one for you. Uh, what do you think of Igalo so far? think that his influence on the build-up play has been better than the rest of our number nines and he can bring something different playing with his back to goal? Yeah, we sort of mentioned this earlier, didn't we? I think, you, you know, for, against certain teams, uh, and probably away from home maybe, you know, I think he, he, he's going to be, he could be a real weapon for us. Um, I've been impressed with him, you know, he, he was he, he's never going to, I don't think he's fully match fit really for the Premier League at this stage anyway. Um, but his attitude's great, obviously, you know, he's dead happy to be here and... It's nice to have that extra option, um, but I, I'm not sure I would say he's a first team or you know a first team player at this stage. Well, I mean, only left the door open for potential uh, full transfer at the end yeah. of the summer, depending on how he goes. And I would be hesitant to uh, make that permanent, regardless of how these next couple of months goes, unless he scores like ten goals in the next two months. But we'll see. Yeah. Uh, right, next up. Both of you, this one, uh, from Ender Higgins. Uh, the, with the team incapable of not being drunk two full weeks in a row, should we be full-on Europa League FC to get over the line or concentrate more on the Premier League, especially if Rashford can't make it back until April? The draw isn't shaping up too terrible. Rich? I think we've got to do what we did under Mourinho in, the first, in his first season and really keep trying to hammer away at both of them and then make a call in sort of later later this month or in, in, in mid-April as to where we are and pick a course and go for it. I think a lot depends what happens in the next couple of weeks as well. I think if we can get um, a few points out of the next three games against Sheffield United, Spurs and City, then we've got a really, really strong chance of finishing. In the top four, the one kicker is, because I don't think Chelsea, I think Chelsea are in real danger of fading away, but, but Wolves have got an incredibly soft fixture list for now until the end of the season and they just seem, they just seem to keep going no matter how many games they have to play. The only thing I would say with Wolves, Rich, is that they, especially this last season, they were always really good against the teams above them in the mm. table. You know, the so-called nominal big six or whatever. But they would struggle against the teams lower down the table. Yeah, they played in a very similar way to United, don't they? They 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 try to um, try just to counter better. attack. Well, I mean, people say you say better, but ultimately we've got we're, we're above them in the table, so. They, they clearly don't do it much better than we do, um, mm. but I mean, given the resources they've got and the, the, you know their wage bills, I think in the in the bottom six or seven in the Premier League, it's really interesting. I keep I keep expecting them to fade just because of the the number of games they've played, or they're going to have to play. But they they just they actually seem to be getting better, don't they? Um, they've got a tiny squad as well, haven't they? Yeah, I was re- I read an interview with um, Nuno yesterday actually in the Times, and he was basically yeah, saying that he doesn't he likes a squad of eighteen players, and he just yeah. can't stand having any more than that. And I think if you keep your players fit, which they do, then you can you can get away with that. You can. You want? Do you wonder though? Whether, like, is it going to have an impact maybe next season or the season after? You know what I mean? Like, the, mm. I agree with you. I think at this stage you got to you got to go for both top four and 
you know, the Europa League, and then obviously sort of play it by ear, really. If, if it's looking less and less likely that United are going to make top four, then you, you put all your eggs in the Europa League basket. But it's a big risk to do that. And plus, you know, there is that whole, we're United, you know, you know, you can't just give up on a competition at the first sign of trouble sort of thing. I mean, it wouldn't be the first sign of trouble, would it? It would be the 27th sign of trouble. Yeah, but I mean, it's only March. I mean, and, and the thing is as well, that, that, that all the teams around United keep slipping up as well, so... I mean, even Leicester are on a bit of a slump, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lost to Norwich on Friday. I think it's eight points now. Are we eight points behind Leicester? It's, eight it's points, crazy. yeah. It was, yeah. It yeah. was. It was. It was like eighteen or nineteen in one yeah. point, wasn't it? So I mean, that's that's absolutely crazy. I mean, it's, it is a really poor division this year. This year, it's isn't terrible. It, with the exception of really the top, <clears throat> the top couple. Yeah, I mean, I think looking at our fixtures coming up, as we said, City, Spurs, Sheffield United. That this next month is really going to define, I think, mm. uh, how far United can push up the table whether or not it's going to stay in the sort of the fifth, sixth area, whether or not we actually are going to get into the top four and stay there. But on the flip side of that, no one around us is showing, apart from maybe Wolves, as you mentioned there, Rich, any sign of real consistency and staying power. So I think that certainly comes into the equation. I do wonder just how consistent the teams in around us are going to be able to be. You know, as, as we mentioned, Wolves beat Spurs yesterday and Spurs at the minute without Son or Kane are looking in real trouble. Spurs look more drunk than us, don't they? They do, but it almost feels like it was a fait accompli the moment Mourinho decided to start complaining about having no strikers. And, and oh, having, he's such and a how, bore, isn't he? Well, I mean, so much of what football teams do is about momentum and about, about confidence, isn't it? And, and just feeling like you're going to go out and win games. And, and he basically did what he so often did at United, which is essentially make it a negative. And, yeah, and, and belittle players. And, exactly. And bel- yeah. belittle the entire squad. Do you remember the, the thing with Luke? I mean, you look at Luke Shaw at the moment, I think he's playing really well. And do you remember like, I, I'm Luke Shaw's brain or whatever he said? Yeah. I mean, you look back on some of the things he said, and you just so glad to be rid of him now. If you're if you're Deli Alley or if you're Lucas or whichever alternative player you could put a centre forward, you're basically thinking, he thinks I'm absolute crap. Yeah, he thinks I'm awful, and I know that squad. That squad does need a lot of work to doing to it, but he's got enough there to be to be competing in some of the games he Absolutely. is. You know, ultimately, he's lost at home to Wolves, and Wolves really, really deserve that. But United, even Ollie's played Wolves four times this season. I don't think United have particularly been the um, the poorer side in any of those no. those four games. Um, yeah, it's, it's just kind of become a fait accompli, isn't it? He's yeah. decided that their, they, that their season is up, is ruined because Kane and, and Son are, are injured, and so ultimately it will be. You know, so as whereas whereas perhaps three or four weeks ago you'd be thinking, yeah, Spurs could be a be a threat here, even without those players. You just look at them now and you think, I, I can't really see it because he's given up. Right, last question of the night from Kurt Rowlands. Uh, realistically, would you sacrifice Champions League next year to gain Pochettino as a manager no. because Ole will more than likely be sacked? So oh, if we no do make Champions me. League, the, yeah, the chances of us making out of the group stages are slim if we're playing anything like this. Now, there's no way I would want United to fail no, as exactly. a reason for getting rid of a manager. I don't I understand think. it. I, I remember there was there were people saying they were, you know remember back when when we were, we had that horrible run coming up against City and Spurs and everyone was thinking Ollie was under huge pressure. I remember seeing quite a few people wanting United to lose against Spurs. And I don't know how, why that is. I mean, it, it, I would never want United to lose, no matter what I thought of whatever manager was in charge at the time. Some of it, I don't know if it's because they've made their minds up, right, Ollie's not the right man, they don't want to be wrong. I, I don't get it. I've never understood it. And um, so, yeah, it's a no from me, Clive. No from me as well. I mean, not just from the perspective that Paul said, but also just if you're looking at things like recruitment. I mean, I think 
I think United, United have got a really good chance of signing Jaden Sancho this summer. If we get the Europa League, though, is that honestly going to happen? Like, I, I'd be very surprised if Sancho signs for us if we're still in the Europa well, League. Well, this this is the question, and this is the point. Ultimately, I would rather see United get in the Champions League, stick with Oli, get Jaden Sancho and a couple of other really high-quality players. and kick, Because ultimately, he's so, players like him are so exceptionally good that yeah. they he could lift our performance quite considerably just because... In the way that Bruno Fernandes has, because the because yeah. the alternative to him on the wing at the moment is is essentially nobody. Can you imagine if United, like you say, if we, if we just had if we had our first our, our first team fully fit, and then you you add a, a Sancho, a Grealish, maybe yeah. alongside that current first team, you know, suddenly you're looking at a very very good first team who can probably compete yeah. with pretty much anyone. You look you look at Real Madrid and Barcelona. You know that Spanish league's not great this season. I, I can't see why anyone would want us not to qualify for the Champions League. Doing a slight diversion for the last point of the night, the sort of level of quality across Europe has been pretty interesting this year, isn't it? You know, I think the the team that's probably going to come out of the last 16 ties at the minute, at least the first legs, are the, probably the two German teams, right? Dortmund and Bayern both look great. I thought Bayern were devastating against Chelsea last week, although obviously you've got to take into account mm-hmm. that Chelsea are very much mid-rebuild, uh, as it were. Yeah. Juve struggled, Barcelona struggled, and they played pretty rubbish against Real last night. And Real were pretty crap against City midweek as well, you know. And Liverpool, for all the plaudits that they rightfully deserve because they have been devastating this season, still struggled hugely against Atletico Madrid. So, yeah, that Champions League is wide open this year, isn't it? And there's still, even with PSG, you know, you don't get any certainty from them that they're going to be able to proceed much beyond this stage, let alone get past Dortmund. Well, you look at Dortmund and, and just that, you similarly with, with um, well, probably more so than with Fernandes because he's just such a great goal scorer. Haaland going there has just made a massive difference. And with a player like him in a team, you can just score from nothing, can't you? So suddenly mm-hmm. they, their chances have become just massively elevated. So, yeah. Yeah, I think the quality overall has been pretty poor. Yeah. I think Leipzig were, were absolutely exceptional at um, the Spurs. Yeah, it's the German league, isn't it? German league looks the strongest at the moment. Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, Juve have dropped off in in Italy. Really, they're having quite a difficult year, as you say. Barcelona, yeah. Rale, not what they were at all. I think as well, Liverpool. It, it surprised me all season how even when they've been, you know, fifteen, sixteen, up to twenty points cleared, Klopp's been really reticent to to rotate in the league. And I, and I kept thinking, this has got to have an effect. This has got to have an effect, ultimately. And yet, they didn't. They kept winning. But the last few weeks, they've looked really tired. They've got away with yeah. a few and then ultimately didn't against Watford. And they were really insipid in, in Madrid. It's been coming, hasn't it? It has it's been them. coming. And you just wonder whether whether he's flogged those players unnecessarily for too long. And and they, their levels just dropped a bit, which really opens the, the pack up in the, in the Champions League. Because if you were looking at it, Two or three months ago, I'd have said there's not a team, another team in Europe that's, that's anywhere near Liverpool's level. But but now I think there is. The only reason he would have had to do that is for going for this unbeaten yeah. record, yeah. which is just kind of absurd. I mean, yeah, great, it's a, it's a lovely record to have, you know. But it, like, if you if you if you're right and the, and the players now are absolutely exhausted and it costs them the Champions League, then. Phew, was it really worth it? Mm. We've lost anyway. Yeah. Well, Arsenal would say yes, but you know, that's Arsenal. <laughs> well, hell yeah. yeah anyway, lads, we'll leave it there for this week. Uh, prior to a quick score prediction for Thursday and then Sunday, please. Rich? I'm going to go a much-changed team in one all With a replay to fit in somewhere, presumably. Yeah, something oh, like God, in June awful. or something. Paul? Uh, I'm going to go a bit more optimistic and say 2-1, but I think it's going to be tough. And then the derby on Sunday? 
Then we'll lose 2-1. I can't predict us to lose. Can't do it. <laughs> so I'm going to say... I'm going to say 2-all. I think 2-all as well. I mean, they were, again, particularly useful in that first half against Villa in the League Cup final yesterday. But for large stages, especially as the game wore out, I'm starting to see a few more sort of chinks in that City armour. And I do wonder whether or not they are you know, the season, essentially, because... You know, the league is long gone. Um, there's so much pressure in the Champions League. I'm starting to wonder now whether or not there's a little bit of a crack in that aura. And I think United can take advantage of that. I think if there's one team that's well-placed to do it, I think yeah. in those sort of situations, it's us. My only concern with that is that we're playing on Thursday and we've, we can have a little bit less time to recuperate for the derby. And I think those little margins in, in games like that are, are quite important. All right, lads. Well, thank you very much for your time and your presence and everything else you've done this, in the last hour or so. Cheers, Ewan. No worries. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you as ever for listening. And don't forget, Pitch Sport Football on the app and the Play Store. Look out for this week's episode and forthcoming episodes and this week's fan video as well. Can't wait to get your replies. And don't forget, you can also get us all over the internet, should you so wish. You can find us on Twitter, Rich at, at Rich Red Voices, me at Ewan Lennett, and Paul at Paul Gunning one and the pod at Red Voices MUFC. You can find our website at redvoices.net. And don't forget, should you so wish, you can find the podcast on your app of choosing, pretty much. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcast app, and SoundCloud. Have yourselves a superb week. We'll be back after the Manchester Derby. Take care. Bye. Bye.